Welcome to this episode of the Strip-Till Farmer podcast series. I'm Michaela Pogner, Associate Editor of Strip-Till Farmer. Thanks to Source by Sound Agriculture for supporting this Strip-Till podcast series. Wake up your soil and unlock more per acre with Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a biochemistry that activates microbes in the soil to provide more nitrogen and phosphorus to corn and soybean crops. It's simple to use with a low use rate, tank mix compatibility, and flexible application window. Use the Performance Optimizer tool to determine where Source will work best to increase yield or reduce nitrogen. Either way, you win! Visit sound.ag to learn more. That's S-O-N-D dot A-G. Achieving consistently high yields doesn't happen accidentally. That's why Indiana strip-tiller and consultant Chris Perkins takes a systems approach to strip-till. Through methodical research and testing, Perkins developed a systems management banded fertility program that has expanded to more than 10,000 acres in Indiana and beyond. He's joining Strip-Till Farmer as a speaker at the 2022 National Strip-Tillage Conference in Iowa in July to talk about the keys to his system. Hybrid selection, a balanced nutrition plan below the root system, fungicides, and the mathematics of yield. In today's episode, Perkins introduces what to look for in a corn hybrid, shares how to develop a plan for success with corn, explains why he doesn't believe in fall fertilizer, and much more. My name's Chris Perkins. I'm in uh, southwest Indiana, and I'm the owner of uh, Banded Ag LLC. We were created in uh, 2019 through a uh, partnership with capital investor owner. And we uh, also partnered up with uh, Landlover Strip Till Bars uh, with the owner of that by a guy by the name of uh, Lynn Rosenblum. And I created Banded Ag from years past of working in ag retail and doing a lot of research work around banding technology. And I wanted to build a platform, if you will, that tried to to make a difference <laughs> in the uh, ag sector, if you will, where we concentrated solely on banding nutrients. Okay. How many acres do your clients have and where are they located? So from our custom side of the business that we do all the custom strip till for, obviously they're in this southwest Indiana and uh, northern Kentucky uh, corridor, if you will. Um, we stretch from about in the southwest Indiana part, we're from basically north of Evansville a few minutes uh, all the way to uh, Jasper, Indiana to Washington, Indiana. And we'll cover from a custom side. I think this year we're set to go over roughly 10,000 acres, uh, maybe a little more than that, doing uh, the custom strip tail application. And then I, in turn, uh, work with the growers on writing programs for the system that they're now in. A lot of the mistakes that I see made when people go into uh, strip till or banding is they change that part of their program, but then everything else stays the same as it was. Usually more times than not, there are other tweaks that need to be made as well. Just me showing up with a bar and sticking it in the ground 
doesn't always lead to the highest of successes that people are hoping to have when they hear of some of the numbers from other people that have come through our systems. Systems approach, if you will. I'm not saying anything bad about strip till by no means. Honestly, everybody knows what I think of it. Um, put my livelihood around it. But just because we we change one thing in our equation, if we don't see the factors that can be influenced by that decision and change and how that can have ramifications for other management processes that we were doing, it can sometimes hinder what we changed. So what are the components of your banding program that you're working with growers to implement? So when you actually go through and strip till everything's working the way it's supposed to and they're getting those successes that they're expecting? Well, um, a lot of it has to do first step with, you know, seed selection. I don't sell seed. Um, I, I used to be in that business uh, years back. I have really no ambition to want to go back to that. I feel bad for guys that are seed salesmen sometime because it seems like it's, it's kind of always something that they're having to, to fight or try to show or help other people. And seed usually always gets the blame, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually the first phone call when something's not right. What I do is screen hybrids from different companies um, that are more popular in our area. So I'm not discriminating against anybody or anything, but um, uh, you, you just see more of a, of a couple, two or three brands in, in our geography than, than what you see of, you know, other regional brands, if you will. So we screen those and start to get an understanding of how are these hybrids reacting and interacting with that band of nutrients directly below them. Not all hybrids will react the same just because you stick a strip till band down below them. Um, conversely, though, some hybrids will react huge to that nutrition being placed directly below. So, first off, we got to weed those out and try to set the guys up towards a success. Uh, path, if you will, through that selection first. Okay. And when you say some hybrids will react huge and you don't want those, what are the things that they're doing that you don't want them to do? A lot of this stuff has been uh, marketed, if you will, to growers, uh, workhorse, racehorse hybrids. And and really, you know, um, if you think about the very premise of that of that uh, conjecture, who you know, who goes to the to the uh, horse races to bet on to bet on the plow horse, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you think about it, like, well, why would I ever want a workhorse on my farm? And then you get into, well, you know, you've got this hill and it gets drowsy and and et cetera, et cetera. And then we talk about roots and stuff like that. Some work that I've done over the past few years with uh, Doctor Below. Uh, and Scott Foxhoven just simply renamed them, you know, large-rooted, small-rooted hybrids. And that has been able to give us a little bit more of a glimpse into attaining higher yields in these systems. Usually, more times than not, it's with, you know, 
smaller rooted hybrids. Yield is, a, is, is not only a mathematical equation, but it is a function of energy. Once energy is used, it is never able to be uh, uh, replaced, just like in our, our everyday human lives, you know. So a lot of times hybrids spend in, in a lot of, of energy, a lot of time, if you will, and energy into uh, creating these, these huge, robust uh, root structures. And a lot of times those hybrids don't do very good in a strip-till band. Now, I, I'm, I'm speaking from, from our area here in, in, in the, the Midwest and Southwest Indiana. When you start going west, uh, I'm not going to speak on that because, I'll be honest, I'm just too ignorant. Um, I, I've not been exposed to their elements, their climates. When they're planting, you know, 15 to 16,000 plants per acre, um, what they call kind of the low pop mafia, um, because they are so dry out there. I'm sure those hybrids probably have a little more uh, shine to them, if you will, um, than some of the hybrids that we use around here. So I don't want to get too technical and, and say, well, this is a blanket approach from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. I'm just kind of going off what we're seeing here. Um, coincidentally, though, those, those smaller hybrids, those smaller rooted hybrids, uh, when we go to a banded application of, of nutrients, we're able to uh, plant them thicker as well. And... The reason for that is, as you as you plant thicker, um, the roots get smaller on any hybrid, right? Mm. And because they've gotten smaller, we're still able to maintain a constant food source directly below them. Um, if you think about it, it's kind of like an IV drip going into a into a young child versus an IV drip going into an adult human being. As long as the monitor set at the same pace, it's the same drip, right? That's in essence what we're doing. Okay. In terms of your screening process, what does that look like? It's really pretty simple. We just set up what we call our uh, strip tool by hybrid trials, and we plant them on the band, and then we plant them right beside each other, uh, directly off the band. Um, and we'll put down a, a broadcast mix, if you will. Uh, a guy might, you know, put on a bunch of dry up front and work it in, or he does anhydrous, or he does liquid, and then he wants to come back and side dress. I, I don't care. I just care about removing the location of those nutrients. So, in essence, what I'm creating is basically a, a root interception trial where one side, where the band is, is obviously the roots grow directly through it. So root interception is much greater than uh, than the other processes. And when we get into the grower standards, if you will, of broadcasting or whatever, um, they become more reliant upon processes such as uh, diffusion, uh, mass flow, th things of, of that uh, essence. So what we start to see, though, and I always thought this was, was really interesting, if you spread these out geographically to also maybe get introduced to different weather elements throughout a growing season, maybe one area gets a little more rain than the other, one area gets a little bit warmer, maybe by a couple degrees, usually doesn't differentiate that much. While their, their yields will be different, the sum between the two systems is always very ironically close together. It's been one of the most interesting things that I've noticed over the past few years of doing this. 
you know, if, if you take hybrid A and you plant it on a strip till band and you put it in this system, and then you take hybrid A and you, you put it into to whatever the other system is that the grower wishes for it to be, and let's say there's, there's 50 bushel between the difference of those two, you could move that same, that same trial and go 20 miles down the road. And while their top yields may be the different, the sums are very close, which tells me there has to be a correlation back then to that concentration of those, of those nutrients being there. And then just the fact of, of energy creation, sugar uh, uh, throughout the plant, nutrient content and the kernels, uh, there's a whole host of things that's, that's taking place there, but it's always interesting to kind of see that because you can see that, okay, I am starting to make some pretty good sound decisions off of the data that I'm seeing that, you know, hey, this hybrid here, it's not recommended that I plant it. When I put it into this system, it completely changes it. So I can get away with using it more, if you will, or, or what have you. Um, we, we go after the hybrids that, that tend to have the higher yield, if you will, um, in those trials. I don't get so concerned about what hybrid went number one or what hybrid went number two. I, I don't worry about that as much because it's like a first page, if you will, of a, a thousand page book. <laughs> it doesn't mm -hmm. tell you that much. I don't get too worried about that. But what I do really concentrate on is say, okay, hybrid A here, man, there was like 50 bushel difference in this thing in like four different locations versus hybrid B here. There was only like 10 or sometimes you see a hybrid where it'd be like, Hey, this one location, man, there was a lot. And you go to another location and there wasn't anything. And that's the one you kind of start to have to go back to the drawing board and play with a little bit and just be honest and tell people I'm still kind of evaluating it and, and <laughs> learning more. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the, the seed companies really, you know, they like to work with me with what we're doing and other times they really don't like to work yeah. with us. it's not a knock against anybody there has been a, a certain couple of companies that we have seen more success with uh being in uh, banded applications and than other companies um obviously i'm not going to name names on here um but there is some truth into that it's kind of where we're at right now from from looking at this i mean i think the whole future of, of what we're needing to do in ag or uh, trying to do in ag, if you will, I think there's about to be a myriad of changes down the road. Um, this one here will be a, won't even be a drop in the bucket, you know, mm -hmm. from some of the stuff that will be coming down the road from, from, you know, narrow row spacing, uh, you know, the shorter corn, you know, the technology and the tractors, who knows what government regulations will be coming down the pipeline one day. We're just trying to kind of get ahead in front of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing these strip-till hybrid trials for the grower, is there mm -hmm. a particular like percentage of their land that you're doing the trial? Or how do you decide what gets put in one thing versus another thing? Well, so like let's take company A, right? And let's say that the, the grower is planting company A. Okay, and we've screened in the past three hybrids in company A. So we'll take a, a given area of a field and we'll say, okay, let's put those three hybrids back in. Let's check us from what we've seen in the past. And uh, a lot of times it just remains consistent as can be. 
Um, but, you know, I went to introduce three new hybrids from company A and then, oh, by the way, you know, I think there might be something with company B here and we put a few more. It's really randomized, but what we, the one thing I do try to accomplish is if I put out five or six of these trials throughout, you know, a 10, 20 mile radius, that they are all the same. Everything is the same. The last thing I want is company one has hybrids. Uh, a, B, C, and D, and then I move it to another location, company one, and I don't put in A, B, C, or D, but I put in E, F, G, and H. Uh, it doesn't do a lot for me. Good, consistent data is built by backup of said data, you know, uh, and that's that's a lot of uh, what I take into consideration from that standpoint. And then also, I speak to the seed companies, you know, the ones that want to talk and that are interested in some of the stuff we're doing. Um, I think that uh, there are seed or dealers, if you will, in our area that that seem pretty interested in what we're doing. Uh, their, their questions are, are very sincere and, and trying to learn and talking to their growers about it. Kind of want to see, you know, is this all BS or is there really something to this? The other problem, though, with that is, you know, you've got such other seed uh, dealerships in our area that are other retailers and um competitors if you will of us and they they don't want to they don't really want me out and about because it could create other problems for them i i get it um they have a family and, and i respect that um we don't just go calling on people to to drum up business but if people contact us interested in, in what we're doing and how we're doing it um we will be very open with them and transparent um i farm um and that's how I would want to be treated in my operation. You know, I saw a lot of these things when I was younger and would question stuff. And you'd ask one question, it'd lead to another question, it'd lead to another question. And pretty soon the answers you were getting was just answers that you could have just got off Google or reading the brochure that they read before they came out and talked to you. And they're not all like that. And I'm not insinuating that at all, but I'm just saying that's what we went through. Nothing changed in our operation. Uh, except for the degree of hope that we had each year. But basically, we were dependent completely on hope for our program with weather. We we weren't making the type of swinging changes that would uh, sustain differentiation and management. Um, you know, we'd, we'd done anhydrous in the past, and we had done UAN in the past, and, and dry, and, and worked it in, and side dressing, and we'd done all these things, and it's just like, no matter what we do, it just keeps coming back the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was good in a good year or if it was bad in a bad year. Well, I want to be great in a good year, and I want to be good in an average year. And I don't want to be bad at all, except for you get like a 2012 thrown in there, actually, right? Um, not a lot you can do about that. Mother Nature still controls all of it. And, and I'm not naive enough to not think that. But if there's some of our management changes that we could be making, you know, why does one guy get more than the other? You know, I have, what is he doing? And that's literally what we're trying to set out and find and do. But now that we kind of know what, you know, he may have been doing or, or something that was leading to what he was doing, now we can kind of replicate that and change it and, and get other growers to, to talk and work with one another um, to help each other out. I mean, the, the people that we work with, to tell you that they have become a team with each other would be an understatement. Um, it is amazing to see the camaraderie between 
these different growers that some knew each other, some really didn't know each other, but what they've become now is one functioning unit. And it's, it's really incredible to watch and see. Yeah, that is. And I think that's a good segue into talking about the 2022 National Strip Tillage Conference, because that's something that we really try to facilitate is people coming together and sharing what's working and what's not working to essentially help everybody out. And I know you're going to be joining us for that um, as a general session speaker. So could you just give us an overview of what you'll be talking about during that general session and what people will be able to take away from it? One of the things that we really want to be speaking about is, is understanding that what I do is a systems approach. It is not a uh, one size fits all. It is not a, if you do this, you get that. And if you do that, you get this type. It is, it is how, if you do not do step number one correctly, how it's going to affect step number 10. Um, any of the successful corn growers will tell you that. What they do is a plan. It is planned out. Now, granted, there are curveballs in that plan that they have to be able to adopt and, and move with. It's not so it's just completely a piece of iron and rigid in structure. But they have a plan of what they're going to do. And that's one of the things that I'll be talking about is, okay, how do we develop that plan? And then uh, one of the other things we'll be talking about from that first step, moving into the second step, is, is understanding that yield is literally a math equation. Um, marketing, advertising wants to make this thing uh, a whole lot more than what it is. And sometimes we just need to break it down into a more of a simplistic approach, if you will. And I do it from a mathematics standpoint. I mean, yield is plants uh, per acre times kernels per plant times weight per kernel. Okay, so which of those factors can I control? Which one of those factors can I have influence on and which one of those factors are completely out of my control no matter what I do? And then we tie that into understanding um, plant health and fungicides, just how vitally important they are uh, in a high-yield system in this industry. They're, they're crucial in what we do, completely mm -hmm. crucial. And those will, be, uh, those will be a few of the things that we'll be talking about. Before Chris elaborates on creating a plan for a systems approach, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture, for supporting the Strip Till Farmer podcast series. Wake up your soil and unlock more per acre with Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a biochemistry that activates microbes in the soil to provide more nitrogen and phosphorus to corn and soybean crops. It's simple to use with a low use rate, tank mix compatibility, and a flexible application window. Use the Performance Optimizer tool to determine where Source will work best to increase yield or reduce nitrogen. Either way, you win. Visit sound.ag to learn more. That's S-O-N-D dot A-G. Now let's get back to the conversation. Starting with developing the plan, what are some basic things that people should be thinking about? If you're thinking about doing something for your 2023 crop, you really need to start thinking about where you want to do it, how you want to do it, very close to whenever you're going to be taking off the 2022 crop, right? Take a corn-on-corn -corn situation. 
um, you know, we need to get a chance to start getting a residue breakdown. Maybe it's a, a 28 or a 32 application with a sprayer in the fall time to, to break that stuff down. Um, I'm not too big into biologicals. Um, I've, I've used them in the past. I've played with them, seen some luck with them, seen some not have much luck to them. Um, I'm more of a proponent in uh, feeding the biology that we already have. So that'd be, be kind of step number one. Um, step number two, understand that there's going to be some changes that, that I'm going to suggest that it's probably going to be a little bit off the cuff and it's going to be a little different than kind of what you thought in the past. One of those first ones would be, uh, I absolutely do not believe in fall fertilizer. And man, do I get the arrows thrown at me when I walk through the gate saying that. The 10 plus thousand acres will go over this spring. Um, those are all spring applied acres. We do not band in the fall time, period. Fresh fertilizer is worth its weight in gold compared to fertilizer that's been out there for months on end. Mm, okay. So, you know, that's one of the things you're, you're used to doing it in the fall time. That's probably going to be a little bit of a different change, if you will, right? Um, so those, those are your first steps. Uh, the second steps may be, you know, from a, from a, the technology standpoint, where are you at from from your RTK systems to your your auto track systems to your implement guidance systems, uh, whether it's passive or uh, progressive, it, it is what it is from that standpoint. Um, you know, those would be some of the differences you'll be looking at, and then sitting down and just kind of making a plan of, of what we're going to do here. Um, a lot of times I don't get too down in the weeds or too worried about what a guy's soil test is because we're not feeding the soil. So what do I care what the soil really says? You know, I, I look at pH and I look at base saturations. After that, that thing is pretty much worthless. Not to mention that we've been using it since, what, the 50s or 60s going off the same wrecks, and God knows nothing's changed since then. We build a plan to, to feed a plant, much like a dietitian would would build a plan for a patient um, to build muscle mass or to lose weight or what have you. And that's in ultimate what we do. And to be honest with you, it's really not even anything that difficult from that standpoint. Um, there's been a lot of people that have made, you know, some fuss or a lot of fuss or not very much fuss, if you will, about uh, this base program that we run. And, you know, it's been pretty much the the same recipe since 2016 um might tweak it a few pounds here and there from year to year but from the nucleus of it if you will it's always really been the exact same and um working with growers uh in missouri and in iowa and illinois that i work with from the bars that we have sold through land lover uh, and are stripped to a bars and, and putting them into these programs. Um, it just blows their mind when I'm like, I, I don't need to see um, what your soil tests are. If they point to me on a map where they're from, I pretty much know they either have a high magnesium problem or, you know, you have some other problem. Um, mm -hmm. It's funny how it works like that, you know, within the, the Midwest and the, and the United States. Through them, you know, we'll talk about it. Um, it's not like I just completely dismiss it, and, but it's just not something I'm really worried about. So we uh, uh, kind of go from there, from that standpoint. So there's that change. And then uh, the next step would 
be going into the springtime, right? I mean, so we've selected seeds, select, you know, where we're going to put stuff, populations, uh, built the plant, et cetera, et cetera, and then get to the crux of, of, of actually strip tilling. And, and I always tell people that they get a strip till bar from this or they get a strip till bar from somebody else and they call me with questions or what have you. I always tell them, you know, always enjoy your first year. You know, because if you've never done it before your first year and all your neighbors think you went nuts, hey, the only thing that you have to do is disappoint them. They think it's not going to work. Your only goal for that year is to just disappoint them. I, I tell people all the time, my first year when we built our first eight-row bar and started testing these hybrids by a strip till trial, I had no clue what I was doing. I mean, I was just sticking crap in a box and trying to figure this out and you know, it was just tons and tons of trial and error. And I always tell her, I was like, man, that was the greatest time ever because I had no clue what to worry about, you know? And I always right. tell them, you know, enjoy the first year because you will be able to write a book after that first year of what not to do the second year. And people always laugh when I tell them, they're like, oh, you're nuts. And I'll tell you what, it would blow your mind if you knew how many people has told me like, man, you wasn't kidding after that. We'll really write a book of what not to do the second year. You'll learn be a, I guess a, a walkthrough, if you will, of what a, a new grower um, goes through. If you think about it just from a, from a human element standpoint, you're talking about making pretty drastic changes, right? And changing things that he's known for a long time or, people that he works with that um, is not so for the changes that he wants to make. Um, and, and, I, and I've been, been party to, to a lot of these conversations um, where guys are you know, nervous. Um, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? Am I going to look like a fool? Nobody wants to look dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody wants to fail. But to be honest with you, I kind of accept failure. Not from the standpoint of we we make it part of our business practice but because if i'm not failing from time to time i'm not pushing things enough and to me that's not acceptable mm-hmm. um, to just build something and get comfortable with it and then never change it again you know we've got it all figured out that i don't like because while i have had many fields uh, over 300 bushels of the acre uh, for dry averages in our area, I've had uh, um, quite a few uh, different people with national NC, NCGA strip till uh, national winners. There's always somebody doing a little better than than what we did in a contest. So it tells me that, you know, maybe you don't have this one all figured out. So just be open to learning and be open to trying. And, and during those trials and errors, you're going to fail. And right. that's okay. I'm perfectly fine with that, but at least I tried. Um, I heard a very wise guy tell me a long time ago that if you do not kill a crop, you didn't push it far enough. And I think he was absolutely right. You know, it's funny as watching a thing over the weekend um, with uh, SpaceX and Elon Musk, and I'm a big fan of this guy. I mean, this guy's incredibly intelligent. And when they built the first rockets to go into orbit, basically told him like hey you know we got enough money to do this for like the first you know four rockets and they knew that the first like two to three of them were just going to completely fail and explode but they needed to learn why they exploded Mm -hmm. and failed 
And that's the same philosophy I kind of take into this place with our growers. You know, what happened? Now, we don't want those failures happening, obviously, with a grower. We want those failures happening in very small controlled environments. <laughs> that right. is not going to be a problem on a large scale, right? Um, you can't be afraid to, to try different things. And, and a lot of growers that, that haven't done this or uh, haven't seen it or been around it, you know, they're reluctant to change. And, you know, there's going to be some uh, coaching, if you will, to go along the way. Sure. And for somebody who's strip tilling, who's kind of one of the people who is a little nervous about trying this and worried about failure, what's something pretty either simple or easy that they could try that is likely to get them some success so they're more confident to try more new things going forward? Go find your low-hanging fruit. That would be the easiest thing that I could tell you and the quickest. Go find the fields that have 100 bushel variances in them. You know, don't go to the field that's the best one on the farm and think, oh, I'm going to make it even better. Maybe, but your percentage of changing that is probably going to be pretty slim. There's a reason why it's the best field on your farm. It's because it's been the best field on your farm for the past 50 years. As time has changed, technology's changed, equipment's changed, seed has changed, practice has changed. But guess what? It's still always the best field, right? So uh, thinking you're going to change something like that instantly, uh, it can be a little more challenging. But, you know, go somewhere where it's not as good. You know, go make the, the lower stuff on the farm do better. You know, remember how I told you that the yield is nothing more than mass? Well, it's the same thing here. To have a high average, you know, if we have a field, you know, I tell people this all the time when we have fields, that, you know, like our entire corn crop average yesterday was like 290 for our farm, you know, dry average, whole thing. And, and we had, I don't know, Mariachi fields that went over 300 bushel the acre. We had a couple of, you know, uh, uh, replant situation on about 150 acres, is only in the 260s, I think. Um, but, you know, I tell people, I was like, when we have a field average 300, you know, let's say it averaged 310, okay, for a dry mm -hmm. uh, across the scale average. It's like you hardly ever see it doing like 400 through the field. But you also hardly ever see it doing like below 280. It's just consistent. It is consistent mm -hmm. from one end to the other, through the slew, on top of the hill, through the good. It just stays consistent. Now, you'll see 350s, 360s. You know, you will see that. Um, but you have to, right, in order to make your mathematics work out. You know, have to have a whole lot more of the 310 and above uh, than what I do 310 and below to make it 310, mm -hmm. right? So depending on what those numbers are, right? But what I'm trying to say is, you know, when a field makes 300, there's not part of the field doing 200, there's part doing 400. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so what I've been able to kind of see and, and talk to people and help them with is that, Go find that lower hanging fruit first. Make the 220 a 250 and keep the 300 a 300. Now, all of a sudden, we got a 275 field average, if you will. And that's been a lot of it, in all honesty. Um, I've had a lot of people talk to me about, man, I'd really like to stick this strip till bar and on this irrigated ground and this, you know, this ice cream cake uh, type of dirt. Mm -hmm. Truth is, it, it may not change that much. Um, I've seen it where it has. 
in a really wet year. And I've seen where it hasn't in a really good year. But guess what? That's also why we called it a really good year. You know, it doesn't really matter what you did. That's why it was a good year. Mm-hmm. So um, that's one of the things that I would try to, to convey to people from that standpoint. Um, you know, go pick up the low-hanging fruit first. We'll get it. And then once you get your feet underneath you, once you start to understand it, feel it, appreciate the system, then you go after the bigger stuff. Mm-hmm. And hopefully your success rate will be a lot better that way. Yeah, that's good advice. And then, like you said earlier, people are getting that the whole book of things not to do again. They're getting that out of the way with less damage than if they were to do it on their best field. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you know, what started a lot of this was, was a, my relationship with, with Dr. B. Well, I mean, I tell people all the time, God, I beg of you. If you want to get better, go find your Dr. Below. <laughs> maybe it is Dr. Below, but at least go find somebody like some guy that can just push you and make you think and make you feel uncomfortable and make you feel dumb, but be able to pick you back up again and make you better. Go find that guy because he is vital to your operation, but more importantly, he's vital to your business. You know, that is so crucial in that. I still have mine. You know, people look to me like I look to him and and I have other people, you know, through the system as well, through other companies, uh, uh, mathematicians, agronomists. Um, I mean, I even work with people that are in the golf course industry. They have a background in that. And I, I'm always reading and trying to challenge these, these status quos, if you will. It'd probably be a really good piece of advice to give to people is to go find your friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Was there anything else you wanted to mention? Look forward to to speaking with everybody. Hopefully I can answer some of the questions and uh, not get too far off kilter or too far off base or people think I have completely lost my mind. (laughs) Uh, That's really not what this is about, but I'm I'm not scared to be different and want to challenge a lot of the old traditional ways. Funny fact when this whole strip till stuff got started back in 2008 or nine, the first year that Fred started banding and, and, and don't get me wrong. He's not the first one to do it. My gosh, there'd been people doing it for years before that, but, but really it was the first time that he started looking at it from a research standpoint. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're on some of the best soil in the Midwest, possibly the United States. You could argue, um, or at least some of the better, if you will, in the United States and on soil tests that are screaming, Hey, I have everything I need. And yet you get a response when you put something right there. I mean, it was just like, what the heck? This, this, this doesn't make sense. And they were walking and, and uh, a gentleman told him that, uh, you know, it's great Fred, but you know, it takes too long to be able to, to do all the, the strip tilling and banding and stuff. And, uh, it, it won't be done. And Fred told him, said, if there's, if there's enough money in it, somebody will figure it out. And I walked into Fred's life three years later. <laughs> this is what I've been working on ever since, trying to figure this out from a, from a, a commercial situation, if you will, uh, outside of our farm. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I hear people tell me all the time, like, well, I can't do spring strip till. Why not? Well, we just got too many acres to get across. 
okay. All right, I get it. And then conversation goes on. They're like, well, how many acres you got to get across this year? I don't know, like 12,000. What? (laughs) (laughs) If you don't say nothing, you just kind of lead them to it. And it's like, will it be a struggle? Yeah. (laughs) Especially right now with the way the weather is. And it will not warm up. It will not dry up. I mean, it's looking like it's about to be a real nightmare. Um, Although we are still only mid-April, so we still have a long way to go. And I have to keep telling myself that. But, you know, it's just kind of where the, the situation uh, where we're in, right? I mean, I chose it. So I sold it. And now we have to execute on it. And we will. So what is your secret to getting 12,000 acres done in spring? A lot of Red Bull. <laughs> um, we'll be running uh, multiple 16-year-old bars, 12-year-old bars. Uh, going this year, um, you know, quite a few semi-tenders, uh, just to kind of keep everybody going. Got part-time guys, we got full-time guys, um, trying to rotate them out a little bit, give them a little bit of break after, a, you know, you can only handle so many 18 and 20-hour days in a, in a tractor for so many days in a row before you just literally got to get out for, you know, even just a half a day just to get you a breather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I try to be accommodating to that. I remember in 2019, I mean, just a disaster, the wet of the wet. Never seen anything like it in my life. And we were, we were just running one bar um, at the time. And uh, we had, I don't know, like 3,000 acres that year to get across. And I think we got across like 22 or 2,300 of it. And I remembered we, uh, I had uh, two different occasions where I was in that tractor for over 48 hours straight. And wow. uh, I remember we got done. I told my wife and told a couple of the guys that worked for me, and I said, uh, we'll, we'll never do that again. But I was I was at misery of misery. I'm not doing that again. So we, uh, I doubled down, and uh, uh, we got a lot more tractors and a lot more guys. <laughs> we got a lot bigger. So one of the things that we try to do is, um, you know, I meet people all the time that want to get into this custom strip till and well, how many acres can I get across? Uh, that's not the question you need to be asking. The question you need to be asking is how many planters can you keep this strip till bar in front of? Mm. You know, if I've got one planter and one strip till bar, what the hell? You can get across thousands of acres with a 16 year old bar and a 16 year old high speed planter. If I had one 24-row bar, I could get across thousands of acres. But what happens if you've got one 16-row bar and you've got to get across that same thousands? Well, it's one thing if it's one guy. It's another thing if it's five different guys. And I always tell people to take that into consideration. Don't go find 10 different people to do 100 acres on because there's no way you are going to get those 10 guys to all agree on, Hey, I'll wait till the other guy's done. Sure. Yeah. Go get, go get three guys with 333 acres each, you know, or five guys with 200 acres each. Watch the amount of acres from a planter standpoint that is on that bar. Mm-hmm. That's what you got to watch. It's not the acres itself. It's physically the planters it has to stay in front of. So what we try to do is have one bar per three to four planters. And sometimes it's four or five and 
but on on average, it's it's three to four, and we try to group them together in an area, so that way we're not on the highway a lot, passing each other. Oh, sure. So we have bars that go to devoted areas, and we we go from there. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it comes back to planning again, where you're you found the most efficient way to make this happen, and that's why you can do what you do. I am not going to sit here and tell you found the most efficient way. I found a way that allows me to at least function as a human being without my kidneys uh, or liver wanting to have a failure from <laughs> alcohol because I'm about to go nuts. Yeah. What I will tell you is that we we have found a way that halfway works for what we're doing. But if you think what we're doing today is the same thing as we were doing four years ago versus the same thing what we'd be doing four years from now, you are sadly mistaken because I am all about change and learning and getting better. I have no problem with that. Thanks to Chris Perkins for joining me for today's conversation. He's slated to speak at the National Strip Tillage Conference in Iowa City on July 29th. Head to striptillconference.com to register for two days of learning from cutting-edge strip tillers like Chris. If you're looking for more podcasts about strip till, visit striptillfarmer.com slash podcasts, or check out our episode library wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, many thanks to Source by Sound Agriculture for helping to make this strip till podcast series possible. From all of us here at Strip Till Farmer, I'm Michaela Faulkner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>